everything to me. Well, I trust uh, that's the case. And again, I think that's a constant battle, to be frank with you. Um, I mean, it's one thing to say we're saved. It's another thing to say that, I mean, he's everything to me. Yes. That's, a, that's a whole other issue, isn't it? Well, we need to strive for that constantly, trying to submit, surrender, and give ourselves wholly and completely to him. Take your Bible, if you would, turn to Second Peter chapter 3 tonight. Second Peter chapter 3. <clears throat> We're going to begin in verse 3, and we'll read till we decide to quit. 2 Peter chapter 3. Again, we've been kind of dealing with uh, the family and relationships a little bit along the way, and been focusing primarily on children, um, and, and dealing with them. We talked about some things that, you know, how we uh, uh, maybe unwittingly entitle our children uh, we talked about those things. We talked about just, uh, well, a number of things along the way. But uh, over the last two weeks, we've kind of covered some of that ground. Well, today we're going to discuss another issue that I think kind of goes along with that. Uh, we're going to talk about family worship in the home today. Uh, talk about that a little bit and see if we can't learn something along the way that will help us and maybe something that will inspire us and encourage us to uh, maybe even begin it if we haven't or uh, to take a little more serious if we've kind of neglected it, to possibly uh, hone it in a little bit more if we're doing it. And so we're going to go ahead and spend a little bit of time tonight talking about family worship in the home. And so let's go ahead and read just a few verses here in Second Peter to kick things off, and then we'll go from there. 
2 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 3, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts, and saying, Where is the uh, promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was, being overflowed with water, perished. But the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word, are kept in store, preserved, uh, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But, beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that the day, one day is with the Lord is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning His promises. Some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us word, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. I want you to notice in verse 3, knowing this first, he says, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts. He's talking about those last days. And I understand that, you know, we could have looked back in Paul's day. We look at Peter here uh, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit speaking, and they're talking of the last days. I want you to understand that from their perspective, they were in the last days. And I want you to realize that you and I are in the last days. And someone says, but wait a second. I mean, come on now. I mean, it's been 2,000 years ago that this was written, basically. I know, but they were waiting on the Lord to return just like we are, and they expected Him to come back any moment. And we are in the last days, and um, we live in a world where rebellion is encouraged, where disobedience is exalted and sin is accepted. We live in a culture where right is despised and truth is rejected, morality is mocked. We live in a society where the Bible is considered irrelevant. Jesus Christ is a myth and God is blasphemed. What is happening in America is an increasingly hostile attitude. People have a hostile attitude and an intolerance toward Christianity. They're intolerant of our beliefs, our values. And unfortunately, it is perceived, at least from my perspective, and I'm sure maybe even from yours, that it's an attack on religious freedom itself. Sadly today, you're free to be a Christian as long as you don't actually live out your faith. I mean, as long as you don't vote your faith, as long as you don't take a stand in relationship to your faith, or somehow believe that others should embrace your faith. I mean, you're all right as long as none of those things are the case. And that's kind of a sad situation we find ourselves in, isn't it? I mean, basically what we're saying is you can believe whatever you choose as long as it affects no one and is displayed nowhere. It must be a faith that is socially irrelevant, that it has no impact whatsoever on our culture and the world in which we live. The real concern today is that somehow, some way, this privatizing of our faith, this keeping it under cover, so to speak, is really promoting this idea of compromise, where they're telling us what to believe and we're not permitted to believe what we choose. Or we're told we have rights, but we really aren't or don't have the right to exercise it. And that's kind of scary in the world we live in. I'm a little concerned about that. Jonah Goldberg noted in USA Today, he said, the opposition to many Christian values has become a, quote, if if you're not with us, you're against us mentality. That's kind of sad, isn't it? The fact is is that the world's beginning to look at us and say, if you're not with us, you're against us. If if you as believers don't agree with our position on, you know, uh, gays and lesbians and our position on transgender and our position on other issues that are, uh, uh, you know, attack or go contrary to the word of God, then if you're not with us, then you're against us. You became our enemy the moment you don't agree with our position. That's scary, isn't it? So what can we do to counterbalance this atheistic and anti-God influence in the lives of our families? 
Because listen, I don't care how spiritual you believe yourself to be, and I don't care how godly you think your home is. I don't care what you think about this. Your children are being influenced negatively by this culture and the world we're in. I, I promise you, I promise you, if you have a television in your home, if you have a radio you listen to, if you send them to school or get an education, if it is not taught by you and the curriculum is not decided by you, I promise you that you, they are being influenced negatively and critically toward Christ and the things of the Word of God. Well, we, we are a godly home. You're no more godly than my home. You're no more godly than the neighbor's home. You're no more godly than your, your, your person sitting beside you's home. The fact is your children and my children are being negatively affected by the culture and the world we live, whether we like it or not. So how do we counterbalance it? There has to be a counterbalance. There has to be a weight on the other side. I believe the way we do that is We've got on one side, we've got the world and this culture and society and the perspective and the attitude of it. And on the other side, we have what? The Word of God. The truth. And, and honestly, if we're going to keep things in balance, then we're going to have to equally inject our children and our families with truth. As they're being injected on the other side with lies. It's going to have to weigh out. And let me tell you something. This idea that, well, we go to church, that's enough. That is not enough today. It's not enough. They're getting it on all sides. They're getting attacked from front, back, right, left, up, down. Every aspect of our culture and our world is attacking the things of God. So how are we going to counterbalance it? Well, we, we, we go to Sunday school too. Well, good for you. And that's important. And I think it's necessary. But it's not enough. I believe that a time of family worship is more needed in this lopsided, upside-down, topsy-turbo world we live in than ever before. At least ever before in my lifetime. I think it was needed and necessary in my home when I, my children were growing up. And may I say, I think it's even more important right now if I had children that were young, if I had teenagers in my home, if I had folks that were going through these times of, of, of impression of their lives. Let me tell you, they're going to need a counterbalance. They need more of this than they need of anything else. So what do I believe we need to do? We need a time of family worship. And you say, what do you mean? Well, some may call it a time of family devotion. Some may call it a time of, of a Bible in the home. You can call it whatever you want. But the bottom line is, is that Christ has to be elevated and Christ has to be exalted. And the Word of God has to be supreme. We've got to lift it up in our homes in the eyes of our children. Amen. So I want to give you three thoughts concerning family worship tonight. I know it intimidates the life out of people. It scares the jeebies out of folks. I don't know what those are, but I've heard them. I've heard about them. Let me tell you something. You can go ahead and continue to be afraid, and you can go ahead and allow your fear to dictate your actions, but your children are not getting any more of that book than really what you're giving them. If you're not giving it to them, they're not getting it. They need a counterbalance. So here's three thoughts tonight. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, help us now in these next few minutes. Be glorified in what's said and done. May we just be encouraged, Lord, to, if we're not involved in this, to, to start and to step it up. If, if we are doing it, then, Lord, to be a little bit more thorough with it and more careful with it and understand the significance of it even more than ever. Lord, we need you today. Help us, Lord, to provide a counterbalance for our young people, our children, and those of our household. We'll give you the glory as you speak to us and help us. In Christ's name, amen. First of all, I want to share the reason for family worship. The reason. 
Now, take your Bible, look over Genesis chapter 18, verse 19, please. God's plan for Abraham involves spiritual leadership in his household. And again, I understand that things have somewhat changed. I mean, we're not necessarily the priests of our homes today quite like it was. We have churches and pastors. I realize that, and, and I understand that in the New Testament. But still, there is a truth to this reality that, as we're going to see, there needs to be spiritual leadership in the home. Notice what it says in Genesis chapter 18, verse 19. <clears throat> in this particular passage, he says, For I know him that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken of him. Now, we're dealing here with the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, and the Lord has come to Abraham, and now here he is with two of his angels, and he's speaking to Abraham, and they're dealing with this destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. I mean, he's literally going to go down and destroy this city. And he ultimately says, you know, um, I'm going to tell Abraham what's going on here. I'm going to let him in on the secret. I'm going to tell him what we're going to do and what we're going to, what's going to happen here in the near future. So he shares his plans with Abraham. Why does he share them with Abraham? Or how is it that he's willing to? Well, we read, first of all, that he knew him. He knew him. That's really important, folks. He knew him. Now, he knew Abraham, as the Bible says, would command his children and his household after him. So he said, I can trust Abraham with this information. I can trust Abraham with the game plan because this man right here, I know him, and I know he's going to command his children and his household after him. And therefore, and as a result of that, the process would produce a result in the lives of his family of keeping the way of the Lord and doing right. So first of all, you say, why in the world, or what's the reason for family worship? Well, I believe we can see from the passage even that one of the reasons for family worship is to provide a platform in which to command your children and household. It gives you an opportunity to command them. That's important. Do you realize that in America as a whole, dads and moms and parents spend so little time with their children? It's astronomically, it's, it's unbelievable how little time, how little quality time we spend with our kids. Do you realize that as a believer in Christ, if you don't spend time with your child, someone else is, and that person is probably not likely to be in the Word of God, but instead in the world. Do you realize that? I'm about sick up to here with this generation stuff, generation gap, the, the X generation or the, the, new mil, the millennials and this and that, almost like there's this division between us. Like we can't get along and we can't understand one another and we don't know what each other's doing. That's ridiculous. That's not scriptural. It's not Amen. biblical. Amen. I'm just saying it makes no sense. The fact is, is that there should be no one in your child's life influencing them more than you. No one. That includes me. That includes the youth director. That includes a Sunday school teacher. You should be number one. But let me tell you something. If you're not there and you don't place yourself in the position to command your children and your household, I promise you someone else will end up taking your place. Not because they necessarily want to but because your child craves someone to give them leadership. The question is, who's going to give it to them? Number two, another reason for family worship is to, to direct your children and household in the way of the Lord. It's not just a platform to say, now I'm going to get to share with you what I think. I'm going to tell you how I feel. I'm about sick and tired of you kids doing this and doing... No, that's not what the issue is. Now, sometimes you need to do that. It'd do you good to go off a little bit on your kids every once in a while. I'm about tired of this idea that you can never raise your voice at a child. You can never get upset with a kid. You can never tell them they're wrong. You can't say no to them because you'll break their spirit and destroy them forever. I'm sorry, but that's not true. That's not true at all. It's quite the contrary, actually. We're raising a bunch of fragile China dolls today. The moment that the, they feel a little rejection in their life, they're ready to hang themselves, ready to kill themselves. 
a little boyfriend or a girlfriend says, well, I don't like you anymore. And next thing you know, they're writing little letters and going, I feel like killing myself. And you're going, what in the world's going on here? I'll tell you what's going on. You've treated them like a little China doll their whole lives. And now they don't know what rejection's about. They don't know what hurt's about. They don't know how to deal with pain, suffering, or any kind of rejection at all. And now here they are, dealing with it the wrong way. Do them good. Be good not to win a trophy. It'd be good not to actually come into first every once in a while and have to learn how to lose. It'd be good for them. That was free. But you know what? The reason for family worship is to direct your children and household in the way of the Lord. To show them God's way. Hey, listen, they're getting it from every angle. They know what the world's way is. Man, they are getting bombarded with the world's ways. They need to know what His way is. That's what the time of family worship's about. It's not about how effective you are as a speaker. It's not about how, how intellectual or capable you are as a communicator. It, it's not whether you do a good job of reading or not. It's sharing and giving out His Word, laying out His perspective, His way. We say, which way, uh, uh, which way do I go to get to your house? You go, well, you go down here and you, you take a left at the first street and then a right at the second street. Oh, so that's the way I got to go? Yep, that's the way. So you travel a way to get to a destination. I'm going to tell you something. The devil has a way for your children to travel. And he has a destination that he wants them to end up at. But if you don't, you, you know how you counterbalance that? By showing them God's way. Because in the long run, God's way always leads to the right place. <clears throat> and there's, sadly, if you're not sharing this, in most cases, they're not getting it. And they start to believe there is only one way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus said, I am the way. And yet, in most homes, let's just be honest, our children haven't heard Daddy pray one time. And if he does, it's over dinner. Dinner. Well, aren't we just great Christians? We pray over our dinner while Muslims are bowing on their face countless times a day before their families, their children, their communities, honoring and showing respect to their God, little G. And we serve the risen Savior. And our children don't hear His name on our lips all day long. Not all the time. I'm, not, I'm sure there are some. But let me tell you, probably if we'd go through a Community Baptist Temple right now and say, <clears throat> who spends time each week as a family sitting down with your children and opens this word up and has a time of family worship? You'd be surprised how few families are doing that. But I promise you the televisions are on. And I promise you, the computers are running. And I promise you, Facebook is alive and well. And I promise you that all the blogs and all the articles that are available to them on the Internet, seeming like they are impeccable and truly truth, are staring them in the face every day. And that's what they're getting. That's where they're learning the way. Right there. So one of the reasons is to provide a platform in which to command your children and your household, to give you that opportunity to set them before you and share some wisdom, to give them your heart. Secondly, to, to direct your children and household in the way of the Lord, to make specific, to, to truly, to specifically focus on Him and His way. And three... Another reason for family worship is to raise up an offspring that not only knows right, but does right. Let, let, let me say something. All you young families in here, all you young families, don't you dare be discouraged by families whose children have grown up and went the wrong way. 
I promise you, kids can still grow up and serve the Lord. It's biblical. Now listen to me. There's no perfect parents in here. And I understand children will make decisions in the end. I know all of that. But do not assume that it's a losing cause. It's a waste of time. It's not a waste of time. Your children's lives and their futures depend on you interjecting and putting that book in their heart. It's time we get serious about this thing. You realize what's going on in our world? Do you know what he's pumping into your child's heart and mind today? If I would pull your children secretly, the majority of them would probably believe that it's not right to be mean to a homosexual by telling them they can't get married. You say, not my kids. If I could pull them without you knowing what they said, I tell you today that that's what's being peddled in their hearts. That's what's being taught to them in the schools. That's what they're learning on, in the media. That's what they're seeing on television. That's what they're getting on the radio. That's what they hear in their music if they're not listening to the right music. Let me tell you something. Don't you for a minute think that your children are upstanding Christian adults, or, or should I say young people, if you're not instilling that in their lives and hearts. Amen. You're just fooling yourself, friend. You're fooling yourself. And if you think they're going to grow up and want to stick around and serve God, they're going to want to live for Jesus long after they've left the house, and you've not put anything in their heart on your own, on purpose, in the home. Good luck. And you'll do like the majority do. I took them to church my whole life, their whole lives, and now it didn't help. Didn't help. So what you're telling every young family member here that has young children, don't waste your time. Instilling, don't even waste your time because it doesn't work. You know what you're saying doesn't work? Right there. That. I just said I was going to share this. I didn't say we'd like it. And I want you to understand, nobody, listen, other than yourself as a parent or a grandparent in this room or maybe an aunt and uncle, and I even doubt that, there's probably not one other person in this room that wants your child to turn out for God more than me, other than you, your wife, your husband, and maybe your grandparents. I want that for them. Bad. And I know God wants it more than any of us. Notice the first phrase in Genesis 18, 19. He says, for I know him. Can I tell you the truth? Is that whether we want to admit it or not, God knows us. He knows us. Look at Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13. He knows us. And, and I, I, I don't care how many Sunday nights, Wednesday nights, and Sunday mornings you sit in these seats, I want you to know that God really knows you. And He knows me too. That, that to me is a sobering thought, my friend. That scares the life out of me sometimes when this old heart starts to think wrong and do wrong. And I think, man, He knows he knows. And I might fool my wife, and I might fool my kids, and I might fool you, and I might fool others, but I can't fool him. And neither can you. Notice he says, neither is there any creature. I resemble that remark. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and opened under the eyes of him with whom we have to do. See, the only real question is, what does he know you for? What's he know you for? I mean, we, we saw what, uh, with, with Abraham, it says, for I know him, that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord and do justice and judgment. Well, what's he know about us? Does he know us as one who commands his children and his household to keep the way of the Lord 
and to do justice and judgment or not? I think that's a pretty good question. Number two, so we noted the reason for family worship. But number two, the responsibility for family worship. Even as Abraham was the head of the home and, commanded to, to, and, and, and was expected to command his household, so the head of the home is responsible today. That means if there is a man in the house, he's to ensure there is a time of family worship and to lead it. Before every lady freaks out, we'll get to that in a minute. But if there is a man in the home, a man in the home, he is responsible to lead this, to head that up. If there is a man in the home, no, 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 you're not hearing me, not to have a family, a time of family worship in the home, he's not responsible to have somebody do it. No, no, he is responsible for it. Amen. No, 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 it's not about him getting his wife to have it consistently. Uh, it's not just about him having her do all the work. No, he has to be involved in this process. He has to be a part of it. I'm not saying that he has to be there every time we have it because maybe his work or his schedule gets conflicted. Maybe he travels out of town and the wife will step up and take care of it in his absence. But the kids know when daddy's home, he's in his place. And he's taking charge. And when he's not, he's making sure it's done because that's his responsibility. Ladies, I can't tell you how many ladies I have talked to through the years that want a man in the home. And I just wish my husband would step up and lead the home spiritually. I just wish he would be the man of God he needs to be. I wish he'd be in church consistently. I wish he'd lead us in family devotion. And I wish he'd give the word of God out to our kids. And I've watched this happen. I've seen dads start to get some britches on. Start pulling them up a little bit. Even put a belt around them, hold them up. And he said, we're going to go to church now. And we are going to have a time in the Word of God every Monday or Wednesday, Friday, or every Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, or every Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, whatever it might be. And all of a sudden... Man, you should see, now he wants our girls to wear dresses. And now he wants our boys to wear ties. Amen. And now he wants us to go out soul winning. It's like, man, I didn't, not, I didn't want all that. I mean, I, I wanted somebody to take the load off. I didn't really want a man in the house. This is getting fun now, isn't it? This is when it gets good. Because this is stuff we don't say anymore. This is what's destroying our homes. This is what's destroying our marriages. And this is what's destroying our, our churches. And what's destroying our nation, my friend. Everybody's got time to watch the ball game. Everybody's got time to go for a walk around the block. Everybody's got time to take leisure and vacation. Everybody's got time to do this and do that and everything else. But... What about this? The man is responsible for this. Not his wife. Not his eldest son. He is. Look, if you will, in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 6 and 7. Notice here what the Lord tells the, 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 the people of Israel. And these words, talking about the law and talking about the statutes and commands, these words, <clears throat> which I command thee this day, shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and thou shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. 
the principle and this responsibility was considered so important that God even restates it later in the same book. Over in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 11 again, in verse 18 and 19, he says, Therefore shall ye lay up these my words in your heart and in your soul, and bind them for a sign upon your hand, that they may be as frontlets between your eyes, and ye shall teach them your children, speaking of them when thou sittest in thine house, when thou walkest by the way, when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. May I say the spiritual role for fathers was understood in the Old Testament as well. We understood that in that home, obviously mom as well must be doing this, but daddy must take the lead. He's got to put this book before the eyes of the children. He's got to put it in their ears. He's got to make sure it's being instilled in their heart. And it's so important that God restates it again in the same book. Again, the spiritual role of fathers was understood in the time of David as well. Look, if you will, in Psalm chapter 78, verse 1. I was reading a pass, uh, a, a, an article here recently and was talking about the Presbyterian Church years ago, around the turn of the century, the early 1900s. They were talking about how toward the end of the toward almost the middle of the 19th century, maybe even a little before, even before that, Sunday school was introduced. And they said that when Sunday school was introduced, now you've got to understand, the Presbyterians around the turn of the century probably were a lot more, a lot more like we are now than they, than they are now. Let me tell you that right now. But, but here's the thing. They had Sunday school that they implemented and that they put into place. And they claimed that when they put Sunday school in place, Family worship declined. You want to know why? You know why. Because people said, oh, the church is doing that now. Oh, they've got a time of teaching. There's no need for us to teach our children at home anymore. The church is teaching them in Sunday school. It's not turned out too good for us, has it? What would you do if there was no Sunday school? Would you just say, praise the Lord, I don't have to get up an hour early. Thank God I don't have to listen to that teacher. Or would your first thought be, wow, we're not going to get any Bible teaching hardly. I don't think many Christians even think that way. I think they'd be like, praise the Lord, we're off. Why do you think all these churches are getting rid of their Sunday night and Wednesday night services? The people are happy about it. And I think a lot of pastors are happy about it. One less sermon, they got to prepare. And they still get paid the same. And in most of the churches that are dropping their services, they get paid more than the ones that are keeping them. <laughs> Look at Psalm chapter 78. Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known and our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and His strength and His wonderful works that He hath done. Wow, they're not going to hide some things from their kids. They're going to make sure they're in full view and you know, the responsibility of every man in the home is to ensure that his children are very aware of the statutes, the commands, and the word of God. That this is the priority in your home and life. Amen. Amen. I would hate to think that my sons would say, boy, my dad loves the Browns more than he loves God. Especially as pitiful as they are. See, the responsibility of establishing the next generation sits squarely on our shoulders as head of the home. If there's no dad in the home, 
I believe Grandpa ought to step up. If he's living there, then Grandpa ought to step up and take charge of this. He's the man of the home there. He's the bail figure. You ought to take care of that. Our children need to see men in leadership. If there's no grandpa, there's no dad, then ma'am, you need to step up. Somebody needs to ensure that the next generation is getting this and understanding the need of it. Somebody's got to do it. You just don't understand. I just don't have the time. We'll see how those things turn out for you when they turn about 16. You know, when they come home drunk from their little party or when they come home drunk from their dance at the school that we let them go to. We let them take in the world and let them act like the world. And then we wonder why they went astray when they turned 18 and left our home. Well, the reason they're leaving is because your rules are too strict. Okay, you believe what you want. Go ahead, believe it. We'll see how it turns out. Oh, by the way, I'll still be there when you need me. Oh, I'm, I'm still going to be there. And I'll do all I can to help you and your child to restore your relationship, to restore their life, pick up the pieces. I'll be there for them. So don't accuse me of that. This trend of spiritual leadership continues in the New Testament. It's not just an Old Testament thing. Look at you at Ephesians chapter 6. See, I believe tonight across this auditorium, everybody's going, preach it, preacher. But can I tell you, that's not the case across America. It's not the case. You know, when somebody says, we want the truth. They don't really want the truth. They don't want the truth. They want the truth as they perceive it, as they see it, as they understand it. But they don't really want the truth. Do you want to know why the Bible says that in the last times or latter times, they'll be have itching ears? They really don't want the truth. Well, they want something that they perceive as truth, but they don't want the truth. This isn't one of those messages that's received real well in every church. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, the Bible says, And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. But watch this. Bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. See, to bring them up implies investment, instilling values, enabling growth. Fathers, that's on your shoulders. I, I'm not here to tell the mom that she doesn't, she doesn't play a role or in a factor. She plays a huge role in this. She's with the children more than anyone. But on the other hand, dads, you are enlisted by God. You are to bring them up. You are to instill those values. You are to ensure that that's being invested, the Word of God is being invested in them, that you're giving it to them to give back out, that you're enabling them to grow. And then he goes on to say, You're to bring them up, how? In the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That means that that immediately this whole process is tied to none other than the Word of God again. It's tied to His commandments. It's tied to His statutes. What has your child learned from you about this? How many verses have they memorized because you encourage them to memorize them? What Bible would they receive if they did not come to church? Would they still be raised in a way that the counterbalance would fall on the side of him and the word of God? Or would they be more influenced by the world? Those are questions we need to ask ourselves. Now, the resources. What do you do with this thing? What's some resources for family worship? Number one, the Word of God, of course. You can't get away from this. I mean, you know, draw some nice pictures and do a lot of stuff like that. That's all good. But if it's not something that's taken from this, it's a problem. The Word of God. That's the real resource. Now, with the Word of God, you can teach Bible stories. 
so a lot of times folks feel very insecure with teaching their children. They really do. I don't know why. You can have a Sunday school teacher and they're struggling with teaching their own family. It doesn't have to be complicated. It doesn't have to be tough. But teach them the Bible. Teach them the stories even. Teach them about Adam and Eve and teach them about Noah and the ark and teach them about, you know, Gideon. Teach them about all these different characters in the Word of God. That's a good thing to teach, especially young children. It's extremely important that they understand those stories. You say, well, they've already gotten them in Sunday school. Well, then make sure they know them and check on them and hold them accountable to it and then maybe bring out some more things that will be helpful to them. How about the Proverbs? If you have young teenagers in your home or young 11 and 12, 10, 11 and 12, 13, 14-year-olds, there is nothing better than to go through the book of Proverbs with them. And you ought to make that a time of family devotion. You ought to spend time reading just a verse or two and, and breaking it down. Maybe read, a, maybe read three or four verses and say, all right, verse 1, child number 1, what does that say to you? How does that speak to you? Do you well, Dad, I don't quite get it. Well, what part don't you get? Let's break it down. Let's read the first three words together. Do you know what that means? You're teaching them how to study the Bible too now. I'm just saying, we're going to take the Proverbs. There's, oh, it's the wisdom book. I want my children to have wisdom. Why? Because when they get out there, I want them to be able to apply knowledge properly. That's what wisdom is. The proper application of knowledge. How about principles? Teach them some principles. What kind of principles? Well, Bible roles. For instance, even the child's role in the home. We read the verse already, and ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And it goes on to say, children, obey your parents. Hey, that's a good one for family devotions. To show them that it's not just mom and dad's idea that they obey. It's not just about them making us look good in the eyes of others. It's about them pleasing God who created them. What about Bible separation? That's a good principle to teach our children early on. Well, what about that 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14? But be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Wouldn't that be a good thing to teach our children as they're growing up that not only do will we not accept an unsaved person as a boyfriend or girlfriend or are they even permitted to consider it, but number two, that they, don't, they have to be equally committed to Christ even or they're unequally yoked. Wouldn't that be a wonderful thing to teach our children before they get to the place where they're ready to go, boy, she's really cute. Man, he's hot. And then we're going, uh, he's hot, but you're not. So forget it. We wait too long. Man, if we were having this opportunity, as, as the Bible teaches here early on, this opportunity to command our children and our households, we'd be able to lay these truths out before them. They would know exactly where we stand and they'd know why we stand where we stand and they'd know that they're not just disobeying mom and dad if they go contrary to it. They're disobeying God. We can talk about the need to be separate in holiness and righteousness and in our dress and in our appearance and our attitude and our actions and our speech. Those are all things that we address in family time. He says, well, I don't know anything about that stuff, preacher. Well, wouldn't that be novel if you actually took the time to actually study the Bible and figure it out? Wouldn't that be a good idea, maybe? So you knew why you do what you do? And when you teach your children, you'd be able to actually tell them why you do it? And not just that's what the pastor says. We got to do it. Well, no wonder our kids walk out the door and go, forget those stupid standards. They're stupid. Preacher making everybody wear this and act like that and dress like that and go here and go there. Not allowed to do this, not allowed to do that. That preacher, he's so closed-minded. That might be good for him and his family, but that ain't for me. You know what? They'd be definitely right. They, they have a right to an opinion. The only problem is... They're not going to answer. That's not what they're going to be judged by is their opinion. They're going to be judged by God's word. So we've got to show them what God's word says about it. We've got to tell them why, not just to do it. Those are good things in the, in the course of family worship. Those are good resources. Bible truths. 
Let me just throw one out for you. I know you're anxious to hear this one. 1 Corinthians 7, 1. Now concerning the things whereof you wrote unto me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. I just thought I'd throw that one out. Uh, I don't know about you, but I really didn't want my boys or my girls touching and hugging and kissing and stuff before they got married. I don't believe they need to be doing it. I don't think it's scriptural. I don't think it's right. I think that it's really safe when they don't start, when that's the line. I think when you draw that line in the sand, and if they somehow cross over it, if they somehow get really daring and they they go off the deep end, they flip over the fence and hit the ground right there. Because they don't fall off the fence, because you didn't tell them it was okay to hold hands already, and it's all right to hug, and it's okay to kiss if it's a picture on Facebook. There you go. How disheartening that is for a preacher who preaches his guts out and tries to keep your children pure, but then you're allowing their boyfriends and girlfriends to hug all over them drawing a picture on Facebook. And I think, well, I just learned something about them. Should I say their family, not about them? You ought to keep that to yourself, maybe. Say, preacher's really mean tonight. I'm trying to tell you, here's what I'm trying to tell you, What you're getting here is not enough. This is not enough, my friend. We're talking about about family and relationships. You want the kind of relationships that I think you want? It will not be developed simply because you have a Sunday school class and you have a preacher that preaches. You're going to have to take responsibility for that on your own. You've got to instill those things. We only reinforce what you're supposed to be teaching. You got issues, you don't know things. Yeah, you come to your pastor, you go to your teacher, you get some insight. They may be able to give you some resources to study, to look into. Maybe you can begin to kind of bolster up and strengthen up a little bit. You can prepare yourself for the questions that might come. And you can, in the the, the course of that mess, learn some things that will help you to navigate through your Christian life. But if you think for a minute that bringing your children to church is enough, you don't have a clue. You say, well, I I need some help with this. Okay, go out to our bookstore. Maybe there's a devotional or something that you can start with, something that will help give you some direction to begin with. I know there's things like that that we've had in the past. I'm sure we have it now, or we can certainly get options for you. It'd be helpful for you. So let me give you a couple of very uh, miscellaneous suggestions real quick. Have others read and participate in your time. Don't you do all the talking. Don't do all the talking. Even the reading. Spread it around a little bit. You say the kids aren't, they're, they're decent readers, but they're not good readers. Well, they'll get better if you just let them fumble over the words. And when they do a good job, you go, man, great job. And then, guess what? When they know they actually have to read the Bible in front of others, you know what they might actually start doing? Trying. Instead of going, forget it, I don't like it, that's too much work. And they say, I'm not going to look like an idiot in front of all those people. I'm going to read it especially when their brothers and sisters are making fun of them. And they will probably. And you'll have to go, knock it off. <laughs> You're just going to have to. We, we, I mean, Caleb was doing that to Josh for years. <clears throat> I'm teasing. Sing. Why not sing? You like courses? You like an old hymn? Sing. Start with a hymn or something. That's good. Um, That's especially, you know, that's good stuff. How about act it out? Especially, this is really effective with younger kids. Just act out the Bible story. You're going to do Balaam's ass? Get down there and walk around. Let them sit on top of you. And let one of them be an angel. Act it out. Act it out. You'll be amazed how much they'll remember if you'll do that. Matter of fact, Sunday school teachers, let me tell you something. It might do you good to act out the stories from time to time instead of just, you know, talking to them. Ask questions. Encourage participation by asking questions. Make them answer you. Do not let a child not answer. Don't do that. Don't ask them questions. And they just kind of, well, he's shy. Well, we're going to have him man up. Because here, you're among friends and family. 
So guess what? We want to know what you think because what you think is important to us. It's important to us. You may think the rest of the world don't care about you and what you're doing, but we care. So I want to hear what you got to say. Man, make them. Don't, don't let them get off like that. Don't let them do that. And then don't be long unless others are extending it. You don't have to have a devotion for an hour and a half. You don't even have to have it for an hour. You don't even have to have it for 30 minutes. Do you know that you could have a very effective home worship time with 10, 15, 20 minutes? Do you realize you could be very effective in a short time? It, don't put all that pressure on yourself. Don't think you've got to design and put together a whole series of preaching sermons. Don't do that to yourself. You find a verse or something even in your reading in the time of your, your personal time, take that one verse out and say, kids, I just want to talk about this. This verse meant a lot to me today, and I want to share it with you guys. And then, and then I, I want to tell you what it meant to me and maybe see what it means it could mean to you. Maybe we'll even memorize this one. I'm just saying, just simple stuff. It doesn't have to be complicated. In 15, and we're closing, and I don't close more than once. In 1557, John Knox wrote to his congregation as he went into exile. He said, quote, You are bishops and kings. Your wife, children, servants, and family are your bishoprics and charge. Of you it shall be required how carefully and diligently you have instructed them in God's true knowledge. And therefore I say, you must make them partakers in reading, exhorting, and in making common prayers, which I would in every house were used once a day at least. During the Great Awakening, George Whitfield he preached, quote, that we must forever despair of seeing a primitive spirit of piety revived in the world until we are so happy as to see a revival of primitive family religion. He reiterated that every governor of a family is bound to instruct those under his charge in the knowledge of the word of God. What he's saying is, before we continue to whine and be upset about a, a world that needs revival, we ought to be more concerned about a home having revival. Amen. And if we can't expect the world to be revived if our homes are dead. That's what he's saying. And finally, Jonathan Edwards in 1703 to 58 is when he lived. But he stated in his farewell sermon, his final farewell sermon, that, quote, Family education and order are some of the chief means of grace. If these fail, all other means are likely to prove ineffectual. you believe that? This man of God said, if we're not successful in our homes, in worshiping in our homes, in instilling truth in our homes, in giving the word of God in our homes, then guess what? More than likely, every other means of Bible, knowledge, instruction, it's going to prove ineffectual. You know what happens, what we're saying then, seeing, saying then is this. God requires the head of the home to lead his family in this book, the Word of God. <clears throat> I don't care how many times you come to church, you're responsible, sir, to teach your family this book and to instill these truths in their heart. <clears throat> And the fact is, is if we don't do it in the home, it's probably not going to make the difference. That's what we learn. It starts in the home, and honestly, it's kind of where it ends. Your child is a big ship docked. And for the first however many years there in your home, you are loading up that ship with cargo. This ought to be the most cargo you're getting, more than anything they ought to be getting this. And you are loading them up with it because there's coming a day and it won't be long, whether you think it's a lifetime away or not, young people. That ship's going to leave the dock and sail out into the ocean. And you'll never have another opportunity to do what you could have done while they were dock there. Your days of truly instilling, your days of truly impacting the way you were as a parent is done. You can maybe send them some SOSs. You can say, hey, you need to be careful. The water's rough. 
and there's a storm ahead. But this is not what you're going to give them now, probably. It's very unusual that that happens. And I just want to encourage you, while you have the opportunity, do not miss it. Take the time to instill this in their life. begins with you and the home. God help us to exercise family worship. Father, we come to you.